Have you noticed how much things have changed since you became a mum? Do you feel as though you're the only one struggling to adjust to this new norm? Can you no longer see clearly the things that felt so transparent before? Well friend, you are not alone, and we are here to invite you into our mummy village so that you always have somewhere to turn and a place where you belong. Together, we will try and bring to light the common struggles of the modern Orthodox mama and delve into scripture in the hope of navigating through all of our doubts on this new and exciting journey. So come as you are and open your heart and mind to embrace the transformation God has in store for you. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, our third and final instalment of our Love After Kids series. Um, so this series has been pretty incredible, especially for Marina and I. I think we've really enjoyed having the speakers mm -hmm. that we've had on. We've really learnt a lot over the last few weeks. Um, this final one is a really important topic that I think doesn't get shared or spoken about commonly in you know society in our culture um, it's for all the single mums out there and today we're blessed to have Mona with us um, who was solo parenting for eight years has two beautiful kids and has recently been remarried congratulations Mona but she's so kindly agreed to join us today and talk about a few of the struggles that she herself faced um, and to try and maybe break the stigma a little bit. I'm going to use that term as cliche as it sounds, but um, try and break the stigma a bit about this, you know, topic and bring it on everyone's heart to start having these conversations and see how we could help, you know, our sisters who might be in the same boat. Um, and also the second part that we're hoping to cover is how as a single mum, maybe finding the confidence or the courage or the peace to move on and find love again. So we've called this episode Loving Someone New. Um, so talking specifically about the struggles of single parenting and breaking away from that and finding someone to let in and finding that comfort and that peace um, to let someone else into your, your home with your kids and yourself. So thank you so much, Mona, for joining us. You have no idea how appreciative we, we are. Oh, thank you, Marit. Thanks, Marina. I'm really honoured that um, you've asked me to come and give, speak to so many of your listeners. Um, I see your podcast and I see that so many people rely on your input in in their lives. So I'm really honoured to be part of that. The reliance is on the guest speaker and you are our guest speaker today. Um, so Mona, for everyone listening, um, she is uh, a Sydney cider in Australia for our overseas listeners. Um, so she serves at St. Mark's Church uh, here in Sydney. She serves um, a very niche service that caters to single parents, um, parents who might come from broken families or people from broken families. Um, and she's, you know, like I said, she was solo parenting for eight years. She's got two beautiful kids and her wedding was earlier this year, I want to uh, say. Last, like last year. year. Early last, last year. year. Yeah. Early last year. Oh, During lockdown. COVID has like the wiring <laughs> for timing is completely off. Yeah. Um, so last year. Um, so Mona, I think um, as just an opening, we'd love to just hear your experience as a solo parent, especially in the early days and how you felt and what sort of struggles or things that you felt come up during that time? Yeah, um, I think nobody ever gets married and thinks it's going to end in divorce or a marriage breakdown or a relationship and then ends in divorce. So I think that is the biggest um hurdle to to get over first and then what I mean as mums what keeps us together keeps a family together is the kids and you feel like this has to stay forever because that is what is the best thing for the for the children but um, not in every circumstance that is the best option so and you find yourself in this position um, so the that was the first struggle is just accepting that I was going to be a single parent and my kids were five and three at the time. So they were quite young 
um, my daughter was just starting kindergarten. So it was her first year of kindergarten. So as a mum, you're emotional already. You've just let go of your child at, in, in first year of school. And then you've just found yourself, you know, juggling that you have to be a mum, you have to be a dad, you have to be a breadwinner, you have to be, you know, be at home, you have you have to you're you're forced to be all these things. Um and I think that was the hardest thing for me is trying to be trying to do a hundred percent in everything that I do. Um at the time I had actually just started my new job. So I was only there for like three weeks and and then my family fell apart. So it was like, okay, this is this is gonna be fun. But um yeah, it it's 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 amazing how how much I mean you, if you read this story, if you read somebody's story, you're like, I could never do that. You know, that I could never possibly be able to um to handle any of that stuff but it's amazing what god's grace can do in that situation just like when you become a new mum and you have this baby and you're now this carer of this child which you've never had before there's no manual there's no um what am i trying to say there's no book to tell you instruction manual to say what to do it's the same thing there's no instruction manual to tell you okay now this is how you have to live your life so um it's i feel like god instills this strength and and peace within you that everything's going to be okay and you just deal with things slowly um so the first you know the first few years you you do focus on the kids and i think depending on their age mine was so little it was it was a lot of physical um needs like you know they still they they were still getting picked up like i still held them so it it was just physically taking a toll um and i think you don't really deal with anything in the first few years, I think you just have to. Well, for me, I just kind of looked straight and thought, I've got this job. I need to keep this job now. And I need to do really well in this job because I don't want the, I don't want them to think, oh, she's a single parent. She's not going to be able to cope. We already have that stigma as women saying in the workforce that she's a woman. She's, you know, it's less, less of a, she's going to do less than a man would do. So it was just so much pressure. But looking back, I realized that I put a lot of that pressure on myself <laughs> because you wanted to be the best for your kids and you wanted to do the best. Um, yeah, you, you just wanted to be the best that you can for everybody. Um, so yeah, I think the first few years were very difficult. <laughs> um you don't have you don't have the things that you would normally have, you know, financially you, you don't have uh, for me, I wasn't um financially stable at that point. You're kind of starting it all over again from the beginning. Um and you just feel like you're running on empty. Like you just you're just on adrenaline really just trying to get by. Um and then there was the times that you know you you have to sh sh we had shared custody. We still have shared custody. So the time that I didn't have my kids was worse than when I had them because it, it you just I've never been without my kids. So it was just a very strange feeling um, not having them because my my whole motherhood was, that was my purpose is raising my kids. 
and then all of a sudden they're not with me so it's like well I don't really have a purpose now like what is my purpose um so that that was a struggle but it was all these internal struggles really um going to church that was I I really lent on the church a lot um but I didn't go to church when I didn't have my kids with me because I didn't want it, all the questions. I didn't want people to say, where are the kids? And then you kind of have to explain where they are and your situation. And so I just didn't go when I didn't have the kids, which is wrong. Like it's, that's it, not what we should be doing. But I, I felt that I, I was just, it was safer that way. Um, family functions, birthdays, Christmas, Easter, it was, it's all around children. When you have children, it's all around children. So if I didn't have the children, it's like, this is not enjoyable for me. Like it was just not, I didn't want to celebrate anything. Um, and then their birthdays, you know, if I didn't have them on the day, well, then I didn't have them on the day. Like, so I didn't see them for their birthdays. It was just such an adjustment of a different way of life. Um, and it's something that you don't expect is going to happen. Um, it's not like the movies where, you know, you, you just gain soul custody or one person gains soul custody. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, and, and the reason why we did joint custodies is for the kids. You know, they deserve to have a mum and they deserve to have a dad. And that's that's what it was about. For me, it's whatever was right for the kids, even if I was suffering or just not okay with that situation. If they were okay and they were happy, then that's that's what I would do. Hmm. I, I mean, I'm one of those people that listens and, reads these stories and I'm like I don't know how you know someone can do that how someone can go through that and and come out you know the other end stronger and better and you know uh, more faithful and I, I'm one of those people I have to admit and confess that's me and I I'm always telling everyone I meet I'm like you know mums are heroes yes but single mums <laughs> they're the real deal like they're the ones that yeah they're the ones that have outrun all of us yeah, because I, I just I you know we're both in the basket of having kids that have just gone to kindergarten this year as well um so that you're right we're already emotional like they're not here so much attitude yeah. and I have to drop them off like I can't I, I still can't imagine what you went through um can you like tell us a little bit about what maybe made things worse during that time? I know you kind of touched on everything in your personal life, but what sort of things were people saying or doing that may have not helped? Um, and sometimes we do and say things thinking that it's we're help we're being helpful. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, so we our community, I'm Egyptian and our community you go to church and um, I used to go to another church so whenever I went there or I saw someone from the other church they would say things like why don't you just get back together for the kids why don't you just work it out for the kids you know um, is it really that bad can you just can you just try like why are you doing this and it was just an assumed narrative that it, it was me or an assumed narrative that I we didn't try everything to stay together for the kids let me say this staying together for children is not right I think that is a mistake um, and I know that is something people are not 
liking to hear, but living, being in a marriage and just staying in there for the children is not a healthy family life, particularly if it's toxic and if the behaviours that are being portrayed in front of the children, these are all going to be passed down to our children. So how is that okay? Is it just because you don't want to get divorced in the church? Is it because it's wrong? That's not the right answer. Um, so that really played on me because I kept saying, oh, maybe I haven't done everything or maybe I did do something or maybe if I did this, you know, and for the year after the separation, I still tried because family are the worst. It wasn't even strangers. It, it, it's family. They just, they don't want to, they don't want to have broken daughters and sons and they don't want that. And I, and I get it, but, um, so they were the they were one of the ones that would say things and you know if you do this everything will be okay and if you do this i think i think it'll work and it will be okay you know years down the track i realized if somebody doesn't love me for me and if this isn't going to work together if both of you don't try it's not about one person trying it's both of you need to try, then that's not going to work. And that's not what God wants. And that's not what he instructs us to do. And there's all this, you know, taking from the Bible of you, we, we're, for, we're not allowed to get divorced, turned upside down. Like it's just, it's given a new meaning and it's very, it's unhelpful. Um, so I think people's comments, Merit, made it worse for me. And um, yeah, it's funny, you, you block things out. So I'm trying to <laughs> dig them back up. <laughs> Bring them no, back no, that's up. not the intention. <laughs> no, but, but I think that's that's what comes to mind is the is people um definitely people's comments and and their opinions of what's happening and how they would do things and you know um or relate it to their own marriages and it's like well you don't have the best marriage either so i'm not going to look after you <laughs> so anything so yeah i i think that was hard um, the, the other thing that made it worse was missing out on things like just not to make it awkward for my kids. So not going to things if I knew my ex-husband was going to be there so the kids wouldn't feel torn because they feel it. Like, you know, they're like, should I go over there or should I go over there? Like it wasn't amicable. So so I just didn't go to some things and although it seemed to them that I wasn't there now you know my daughter's 15 nearly and my son's 12 I think they get it I think they mm. see mm. and um, they understand why I did certain things. Um, hmm. now, I guess on the flip side what sort of things were you running to like what things gave you comfort what who, which people gave you peace and where were you seeking guidance at that point um I had a really strong support network with friends I had a, a you know close girlfriends that I grew up with um that were really my support network um it brought me so much closer to God and I sometimes think that is why sometimes things happen. Um, in the same year that I, oh, probably a year before that, my mum was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and she was 56. And it was the year, year before I 
separated and that in itself was traumatic um and i didn't understand why things happened but that also brought me closer to god and gave me peace and comfort that he is our sole provider of love of peace of our journey and if you know our time on earth is temporary whether it is traumatic whether it's um joyful it's temporary you know our ultimate goal is to be with him so um and and you know my my ex-mother-in-law who i still speak to by the way and she's lovely and she said to me i i, I always worried about my kids i always said like how could, i don't want them to grow up like this like this is not what i wanted for them and she said do you see how much you love them and can you imagine how much god loves them if you love them that much how much do you think god loves them and that has always stuck in my head because she's right like you know they are his children before mine so that is really what gave me peace that they're going to be okay i wasn't really worried about myself i never really worried what was going to happen to me or anything like that um i always worried about them which is natural for a mum i think it's it's just that instinct um so definitely god and the church and um my confession father is you know he got me into service and i was like i can't serve like i'm a divorced single mum like i'm not allowed to serve like this stigma again and he's like what do you mean you're not allowed to serve and i said well i'm doing the wrong thing and i'm you know i'm not a model citizen of the church and he goes he's like what are you talking about like so i started serving and i i was serving sunday school at the time um creche and they're little kids but i was benefiting more than they were i still am from those kids um but it forced me to go to church every single Sunday, whether I had my kids or not, because it was a commitment to service and a commitment to those kids. And it was like God was saying, well, your kids aren't with you, but these kids need you. And this is, this is now your, you know, your purpose on Sunday without kids. So, he really is amazing <laughs> and really finds um yeah he he really he really touches you without you knowing that he's he's touching you and you hear him in other ways so that's where i found my comfort in those little kids on sunday um yeah i can honestly say that <laughs> Including one of your children, so <laughs> gives you a run for your money still, yeah, even though she's not in your car. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always fun when she comes home and she's like, "Mum, Mona has red hair. Can I have red hair?" <laughs> <laughs> like we can talk about this when you're older. Oh, <laughs> this is not yeah. a four-year-old problem. <laughs> Sorry, Merit. And my nails, so good. and my, it's like. And nails, yeah, Mona said she's, she can take me to do my nails, can I? <laughs> like, I'm going to have a word with Mona. <laughs> and I think that was the other thing. Like, I don't look like everybody else. You know, I, I, I don't have red hair anymore, but. <laughs> like, I'm finding it hard to see the red hair yeah. correlation here. But <laughs> My husband was like, are you going to have red hair at the wedding? And I was like. Mm. Yeah, maybe i should think about it <laughs> um but yeah that was the other thing Marit. and marina i don't i'm not um you know i don't look like a model servant so i felt like i didn't fit in 
again because of a stigma that you're supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and um I just want to kind of butt in for a second I think it's I find it 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 really kind of pierces my soul when I hear things like that because I you know Christ came for the broken Christ didn't come for the model citizens I mean some model citizens needed savings saving but most didn't think they did um Christ came for those that needed to be put back together the church is for the the unwell the needy the broken not for those that have everything and don't need saving i, I think we've really we've really kind of i think we've put it on ourselves it might not it, it's never publicly said or you know told us that you can't do a certain thing because of xyz i think we've no. we've gone in with that perception based on what i think we've like you said we've got these our inner person <laughs> just keeps feeding us these lies and the enemy keeps telling us these lies and it, he he keeps encouraging us to believe them and we believe them you know you're not good enough you don't have a this you don't have a phd so you can't speak or serve you don't look a certain way or you you you've got like we got to remember who god chose in the bible scripture is filled with people who had issues and deficits and didn't meet the standard and still they served like who would have thought david was the one that would be goliath who would have called on moses to free you know the israelites there is we need to go back to our beginnings you know our foundations and i think we need to silence these lies and press them down when we feel like they're resurfacing but i i i think we all go through the same kind of narrative like we all feed ourselves or believe these lies that we're being fed and so i just i just wanted to jump in there real quick because i think we all fall into that trap which is is really upsetting because that's not the christ who we serve that's not the christ who loves us and that's not his criteria it's actually not our religion it's you know you really it made me see that it was culture versus religion and it's like actually you know that's really unchristian of you to say this for me to say it to myself but you know i could i could see people looking and you know the comments and things like that and that's okay like but that that doesn't define me you know that my divorce doesn't define me my raising my kids on my own doesn't define me and that's something that you have to learn as a single mum and as soon as you kind of get over that hurdle i think that's when you as when you start being free of those thoughts because it allows other thoughts to come in and it allows you to thrive in other ways um and the biggest thing for me was always my kids particularly my daughter that i wanted them to see me as a strong woman that can do everything but through christ like she's i'm not doing it because of a man i'm not doing it because of money i'm not doing it because of my job or it's because Christ was beside me and i lent on his promise you know that his promise was that like you said Marit, he's he came for the broken and his promise to women there are so many verses in the bible that promises things just to women um because I know that people pick at it and saying, how come women can't stand as deacons? How come women can't do this? How come it, I, that's like human nature and that's human ideologies of feminism or something. But I can guarantee you that in, there is so much more, he puts so much um, value in women in the bible he he really promises that um he will mend a broken heart 
and be there for, you know, women. Look at St. Mary and how their relationship was. Like, yeah, I I believe you see what you want to see as well. So if people want to see those things, um, that's, that's on them. And that's something that I learnt. It's like, well, actually, that has nothing to do with me. That is on you and your perception on divorcees or single mums or people serving that are not up to your standard. That's actually not me. I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm giving love and nurturing to into my service. And, um, yeah, so... I have a question, Moana. Um, you you mentioned like that a lot of your like you had a good support network, but how did you find like navigating your relationships with other people, like your friends, and then like your like you know the people that maybe didn't know exactly what was happening for you? Um, how did you how did you navigate those relationships in the early days and like? people who would have said things like insensitively, et cetera, like how did, how did you heal some of those relationships and what helped you like, you know, can, I don't want to say move past things, but what helped you process, I guess, um, and, and continue to move forward with your relationships? Yeah. I think that's a really good question because your friendships don't stay the same and people have different reactions to different things. And at the beginning, I was so, like, I don't like confrontation. I don't like people being upset from me. I don't like just, you know, unsettled waters. So if someone, there was, you know, people that didn't know how to respond to my situation and I, at the beginning, I took it upon myself and I would try and, um, you know, explain and, you know, make them feel better. And it was exhausting. It was completely exhausting. And through time, um, you realise, I mean, your real, your friends that are real friends, they stay the journey. They don't question. They don't, you know, there, there, there's a few friends that I would just go and sit on their couch when I didn't have the kids for the whole time. They would ask no questions. They would feed me. I would go home and then I would do it again the next time I didn't have the kids. And that went on for a really long time. No questions, just being there um and that that showed me a lot like that really I felt safe I felt like I could just you know honestly I wouldn't say a word for like three days and then go home and then I'd be a completely different person when I have the kids and then that's when I saw the other side of like me having to explain the situation or make the other people feel like what it is a lot. Some of the time it was family and it was like, this is exhausting. Like I, I, I actually can't do this anymore. So you learn to set boundaries with certain people and family and that's how I navigated it. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's been 10 years, um, you've got, you can see the same people that were there or the people that are not there or the people that are at arm's length. Um, and I think, I think boundaries is, is the key to that, Marina. You, you have to allow yourself to set boundaries, even if it's family. It's important for you to go on and to, um, raise your children in the way that you want to raise your children because it, it becomes influential. They become influential because I, because I didn't like confrontation or I didn't like, you know, saying no. 
So then you kind of keep saying yes, but it was like, this is not me and this is not what I want to do. Yeah. And I think that like, that's a really um, important thing to touch on because I, I think again, that's something that can be quite universal whenever we face any trauma or anything in our lives, that's at like, like anything adverse is one of the things that we always feel like you feel like you have to explain yourself and make the person in front of you feel better about your situation, which is totally unfair. And just, it's ridiculous. Like how is that something to put on someone who's already dealing with a lot? And, you know, you're still trying to process what's happened and trying to find your feet and work it all out. And here you are trying to support them. So I think it's, um, I think it's very helpful to hear about setting those boundaries and that it's okay to like prioritize yourself. Um, Was there anything that you think particularly from your friends, because I guess they're the people that you, and your family actually, that you found really helpful in that time? Um, I think that the group of friends that, don't make you feel different because you put, you place a, you know, they were all married, they all had their kids. So when we were together, I was always the one that wasn't with a partner or a yeah. husband. Um, but that was me, like that was my feeling. Um, so I think what helped was um, sometimes me making that decision that if I am feeling like that or feeling a bit vulnerable, I just, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. So I wouldn't attend certain things and I wouldn't, um, and I know that sounds weird because it's like, well, you've missed out, but actually I was protecting myself in the end. I was just like, actually, I'm going to sit this one out because it's safer for me. And that was creating boundaries with myself, you know, not doing things. I mean, we, in our society, there's, what's, what's the translation to WAGIP? <laughs> Obligation. <laughs> it, this is instilled in me and, and it's, and I would do things because I felt like I, I have to do this. Like, and then slowly I thought, what the hell am I doing? Like I'm actually just, I'm pleasing other people and it's actually better for me not to do this. So um, that was something also learnt. So it's not just boundaries with others but with yourself and knowing when your where your limits are of what you can do and what you can't do. I guess off that, not really off that, but... Um... You know, you obviously sometimes avoided certain situations. You had had this, you'd set up this setup, I guess, with your friends and your family and things that um, kept you and your family safe. You had your boundaries. How then, this might be a loaded question, but how then did you break free of some of those and allow someone in? Um, and I don't know, when did you know it was the right time? What sort of things happened around, like how did you know you, when did you give yourself permission? So if, if I think about how this started, it was very, um, so my husband and I met at work and so we were friends um, at work. So that was okay and he was also um, he has a similar story and he's divorced and with kids. So there was a common um, common grounds there that we, we could talk about. And we and I thought, oh, okay, you know, he kind of gets it because it's really hard talking to somebody that has not been through this and then them thinking, oh, yeah, you understand. Actually, you don't understand, but okay. So... I think that was the first thing is that we were friends. But before, I mean, we were just friends at the time. And at the same time, everyone was kind of like, okay, it's been five years now, you know, 
your ex has moved on a, while, a long time ago, you should really start uh, your young, you know, you should start dating. And I was like, dating? I, I didn't even know how to do that. Um, and in this time, and they're like, you, you, just, you just go online. And I was like, there is no way I'm going online. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know how to use technology. Like, <laughs> joking, right? Um, so, but, but by that time you miss companionship. So you, you know, you, we're made to be with somebody and, and the first thing is companionship. Um, I, yeah, I chickened out on so many, you know, people, people would ask me and I was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. And I, I, I would, um, what's the word when you? like end it before it even starts like I would sabotage it like from the beginning so when someone would say you know we could go out for coffee or whatever I'd say oh you know I've got two kids and you know all this baggage and there's all this stuff going on and and you know they would freak out and I was like yep see it's not going to work like you self-sabotage the situation because in your mind it's not going to work like you're right, Marit, how can I let somebody else in when I've just created this bubble, this safety bubble um, for me and the family? So, yeah, so with my husband now, um, we were friends. So he was, he was already kind of in because there was no preconceived um, you know, vision that anything was going to happen, that it, we were friends. So it allowed me to feel safe and comfortable because I didn't have this narrative in my head that I had to act a certain way. And I think that's what people need to do is just because you're talking to someone or friends with someone, it doesn't mean you have to marry them. It doesn't mean it's that's the that's what's going to happen, you know. It's actually a learning experience and you can let them in as much as you want. You don't have to let them in the whole way. I think the way we think as in our society is if I talk to this person and if I open my heart, then I'm going to have to go all the way and get married and do this whole thing again and it's going to end and, you know, this whole negative experience takes over so just being friends was very helpful in this case and having common grounds of him understanding what i've been through and i understand what he's been through so it gave me it gave it was respect like you know it was like street cred like yeah you get it so you're not, I'm not, I'll let you in a bit, which is friendship. So I think that's, that's honestly how it started. Um, not to say that, you know, once, once I started realizing it was more than that, I broke it off so many times because I was like, this isn't going to work. Like you are dreaming. This is not happening. Like, and and things would go through your head like if if it didn't work with the father of my kids, how the hell is it gonna work with you? Like, are you insane? And my husband is Australian, he's not Coptic, he lived three thousand miles away in another state. So everything was like on paper was wrong. <laughs> so that's um I, I think him living far also gave me courage to, to do it i always say to him if he lived near me i would never i, I probably wouldn't um talk to you as much <laughs> it, it was very slow um to answer your question and that is okay um I think I learned that it's there's no time limit and everybody's different and every situation is different and people 
you know, were telling me, how's this going to work? Like, how are you going to make this work? And, you know, he's not Coptic and he lives in Perth and he has kids and you have kids. And I said, I actually don't know how it's going to work. For once, I'm actually just leaving it to God. If it's supposed to work, then it will happen. Versus the first or every other situation in my life, I try and control and say, I want this and this is going to happen at this time and everything I, you know, I pan it out. But I think this is one thing that if you, if you've learned to actually trust God and you really believe it, then you give it a go with, with the wisdom that you've learned, what you've learned over the last whatever time um, being on your own. But but the other thing I want to add is if I had left my marriage broken as I was and vulnerable and then met him, it wouldn't have worked because I learned so much about myself. I nourished my spirit. I nourished my my myself like I actually found myself um I filled my cup so I could be able to you know serve my kids at home and better and I, I was a better mum um and I you make better choices when you when you're rested and when you're um when you're nourished and that those, that self-care is different to everybody. So for some people, it's going to the gym. For some people, it's a massage. For some people, it's service. So I think if I didn't have that, I, I wouldn't be able to make those decisions or allow someone to come into my bubble because I was also strong enough to say, or to feel that, okay, if this doesn't work, it's actually okay. Like, it's it's not a marriage proposal. It's not. It's it's okay. Like, it's it doesn't mean you've failed again. How did you process? I guess first, like once you realised where things were going, um, in this new relationship. Like, how did you process and? I guess take the next steps in terms of um, bringing your partner into your little family bubble and how what what was what worked for you I guess because I know that it's never going to be the same thing that works for multiple people um, but like firstly into like your bubble like the three of you you and your kids but then also like your wider like your your friends and your family like how how did you take that step or when did you know to take that step? So this is going to sound so weird, but I introduced him to the church first before my kids. Um, because for me, that was a non-negotiable <laughs> part before my kids. Um, I, it, it wasn't, that I wanted him to get baptised and be Coptic and all that stuff. That wasn't my goal. My goal was for him to see that side of my world because I think for an Australian that's not very familiar with the Coptic faith, it's not just church on Sunday. You know, it's that it's not just going Easter, Christmas. This is my world. This this is how I want to live my life. So if you're not okay with this part, there is no point for me to introduce you to my kids. <laughs> so, yeah, so I actually, that's how I did it. And um, we went to a few, like, um, you know, there was a few meetings that, like fellowship things and, um, and then I, and that's when he understood because he didn't before, he, you know, he, it, it was a, it's a foreign thing to people. 
it really is. Um, but that's when he was like, okay, like this is actually your family. Like this is actually the way that you live your life. And I was like, yep. So once he accepted that, then I was okay to um, introduce him to the kids. I felt I left that for a while. It wasn't just one or two times. You know, he lived in a different state, so it was, um, it was, it took time, um, probably a year into it or two, and I introduced him as a friend to the kids. That's um, we went over to Perth for a visit, but I took another friend with me and kids. So we went as a, it was a group. So it wasn't so um, confronting for my kids. Um, so that that's how, yeah, that's how I did it. So it was a bit backwards, but. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's, you've, in that, I think you've shown again your reliance on God and your relationship with him. I think that's a really beautiful thing that you did and a really nice thing to bring up. So thank you. That's, it actually seems lo- like so logical when you, the way you've explained it, it's just like, why would you do it any other way? Yeah. <laughs> any other way. <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's also part of like having an interracial marriage, um, but then adding kids and he has kids that you know are not you know i had to accept things as well like i it's not it's not one-sided it's it's two ways so and at the beginning i was like no i'm not accepting this and it has to be this way and you know it was actually a buna you know my confession father that said you're in a marriage you have to compromise and meet in the middle like it's actually him telling me what are you doing but i was so scared to be in the situation I was with my first marriage that I was like I was being totally irrational with this situation because I thought I'm going to stop things from happening like again (laughs) um but that's not how that's not how it works you know a marriage is a marriage whether they're Egyptian or Chinese or you know Australian it's the same concept. You have to meet in the middle. You have to both work at things. You have to both respect each other. So that that was the biggest thing for me, for him to just respect the fact that this is my life and I, I don't want to be stopped from doing it. I don't expect you to do what I do, but I just don't want to be stopped. So that gave me... Um, kind of peace to move forward and, you know, introduce to family. And and to be honest, my family was, um, families just want to see you happy. They, you know, after all this, they see fam- divorce really affects families as well. They, they, it affects people around you. Um, my sister, my brother, my dad, like it, it really affects people, but you don't realise. So at the end of the day, they just want to see you happy. They don't care what you do. And we always think, oh, I have to do this and it has to be this way. Actually, it doesn't. They tell you they just want to see you happy. And when I told my kids, um, that I'm getting married and you know I towards the end not the end of the relationship but towards kind of the engagement side second time round you kind of you have to talk about these things you can't just it's not a pop proposal and it's amazing and you're surprised because mm. you could say no in those instances and then that would <laughs> So I knew that that's where we were heading. Um, so I would talk to my kids about it. And I said, you know, say, how do you feel about that? If this happens, you know, what would you, 
you know, what, how would you feel if this, if this was to eventuate into that? And my son at the time was 10 and he said, mum, I just, I just want you to be happy. It's a 10 year old. So you can imagine your father or an older sibling, they, they just want you to be the best you. They've seen enough um, you know, tribulations that you've gone through. They, they just want you to be okay. Mm. Um, I guess just to bring this a bit to a close, which is really sad for us because I think we can sit and talk to you for another oh, two yeah. hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> like there's just so much to ask and so much to talk about and I think your strength is really mm resonated with us and and what you've gone through like we said something that we would never could even imagine and we look to these single mums and we're like you guys are the heroes you've shown us that you know heroic mum that's come out just stronger with Christ and you're I'm I'm in awe and I'm you're you've inspired me so much just by us talking but I guess just um, for our listeners, are there any resources or services that, um, you know, they can use or reach out to um, what sort of things are available for them? Yeah, for sure. So um, you mentioned at the beginning I serve um, with for a single mum group. So if anybody is um, needing a fellowship circle, uh, it is, you know, it is a way of just connecting with people who have been through the same thing um, and it allows you to just be yourself. You don't have to tell your story. You don't have to do anything, but it's just a connection between others that have been through that. So it's um, it's called the St. Joseph's group so you can reach out to Marina and Marette and we can get in touch um, and just yeah it's it, these these services are really hard to find because of that stigma that we spoke about so something that I would say is don't be afraid to ask um, your priest your friends um, other people who have been through that situation how they got through things or if there's any support services. I think people who have been through it want to support other people who have been through it or just be there. So just not to be afraid and um, to reach out. I might just mention a book as well. There is a book that has uh, just recently come out only last month called The Grace of Being There, um, The Single Mother Saints in Our Lives. So it it really it just talks about certain saints in the Orthodox Church, female saints that were single moms, and how they touched certain single mothers um, in their lives and how they helped them. So the whole book is actually written by a bunch of single mothers, and each of them was allocated one of these saints, and then they talk about their walk with that saint and how the the story of that saint resonated in their life as single moms. Um, it's a great book. Um, and it's just something that we, we don't normally think about. Like I didn't even know some of these saints were single. I didn't know that these mums, you know, um, walked their walk with God and raising their kids and ended up some of them as martyrs. I didn't know that, you know, they they weren't married or didn't have partners. So I think it's, it's really beautiful for everyone to read. Um, and just, yeah, just another book that might, you know, might help or just might help not break the stigma, but I guess help you see yourself in the saints, you know, like that. I think that's a beautiful resource we have in the Coptic church to be able to relate to some of these saints. Yeah, I'd love to read that, Marit, actually. I've never, I didn't know that. Either. It's a beautiful book. I'll, um, I'll send you what it looks like just so that you know um, what to look for. Um, but I'll, I might put it on our Instagram page as well and then um, you guys can get your copy. Hmm. Thank you again, Mona, for joining us today and thank you for sharing so much of your story and your life with us because I know it's a deeply personal thing um, to share and I know that there are 
lots and lots of women out there who will um, connect with what you're saying and who will see themselves in you. So thank you. And thank you also for giving us a bit of guidance as well, I think, because I think as mums, we all want to support other mums as much as we possibly, possibly can um, in the best way that we can. So thank you for guiding us and navigating us through that. As always, you can find um, find us and reach out to us on Instagram at the underscore mommy underscore village. Um, send through any questions. We're happy to pass them on if we can't answer them. Otherwise, we will try and answer them ourselves. Um, any more suggestions for any other topics? Because as Marat said at the beginning, this rounds out our Love After Kids um, series. So, if there's anything else that you want to hear about or anything that you feel wasn't addressed, please reach out and let us know. Um, you can also find us on Facebook just as Mami. And um, we look forward to sharing our next um, podcast with you guys and we will talk soon. <laughs>